trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table Again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people Working on important issues Here in Columbus and all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding And today I'm talking with Stephen Goldmeyer And Patrick Hoffman Organizers with the Columbus chapter Of the Democratic Socialists of America Their housing priority campaigns work currently centers on city policy, which they say is contributing to the housing crisis through huge tax breaks to real estate developers and lackluster protections for tenants. Stephen Goldmeyer is an attorney and consultant whose work centers on criminal justice, data, research, and technology. Patrick Hoffman has been active in DSA since 2017. His introduction to Columbus DSA was organizing with renters in Whitehall who were facing unsafe living conditions. Welcome to Grassroot Ohio. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Lack of affordable housing is a growing concern in Columbus. We've recently been focused on our homeless camps and a tenants' rights ballot initiative in Columbus. Today, let's talk about your work on tax abatements and how this impacts housing and everyone's quality of life here in Metro Columbus. So let's start off with a nutshell explanation of what is a tax abatement. Let's start with you, Stephen. Sure, yeah. So a tax abatement is basically a tax giveaway to somebody in order to try to incentivize or make them do something. And in the context of our campaign, we're talking specifically about tax breaks on 100% of property taxes for new builds and new development for certain kinds of development in the city for a 15-year period. Uh, And the way that these abatements are given out basically is if a developer builds a new build, some new big residential building with some modicum of affordable housing, which we can talk more about what that actually means. Spoiler alert, it's kind of affordable in name only, I think is the way we would describe it. If they build those in certain areas of the city that have been designated as needing more housing, areas that are really hurting, essentially, then they get their uh, 100% 15-year tax break. They pay no property taxes on what they build. In practice, what this means is developers are targeting these poorer neighborhoods in order to build big often luxury condo buildings with a little bit of affordable units, quote unquote, affordable units uh, in them in exchange for huge tax breaks. And it basically is the driving force behind these new buildings coming to areas that really need actual affordable housing, but are instead getting these gigantic, often very luxury, high-priced market rate buildings. So that's in a nutshell what concerns us about the tax abatements. Yeah. And Patrick, what in a nutshell, is why you're concerned about these tax abatements. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the tax abatement issue is becoming higher and higher profile kind of in Columbus generally. Uh, Those of you uh, among your audience who would have been following the teacher strike recently um, or even over the past several years would know that that was uh, a major driver of that because those tax abatements um, not only represent uh, a gift of your tax dollars in mind to for-profit real estate developers, but those dollars come directly out of the public good, primarily the school budget. So at a time when uh, public services are hurting, we're giving money to for-profit entities in order to uh, incentivize development that we argue would be happening already. Stephen mentioned that the city prioritizes certain neighborhoods to designate them as ready for investment. <laughs> Excuse me. But these abatement policies also apply to 
really hot areas like the short north and Wyland Park. Um, so that really belies the, uh, it, it gives away the game here that this is less about addressing the housing problem and more about transferring wealth from public good into private hands. Okay. Intel is the huge Ohio headliner right now. The corporation has been given millions of dollars from our liquor tax monies through Jobs Ohio, a 30-year state tax abatement, and the city of New Albany said it would offer a 30-year, 100% property tax abatement on the buildings that Intel constructs in the city's business park. And there are many, many more real estate developers and corporations getting tax abatements in the heart of Ohio, under most people's radar. Can you talk about the corporations, the kind of corporations getting these tax abatements, and what's the objective of the city council for doing this if it's impacting so many services that are necessary for our residents? Yeah, absolutely. Steve, if you'd like to, or I'm happy to speak to it. I can start and then, yeah. Uh, Go for it. Tee it up and I'll take it. That's right. I think one of the the main things that's really hidden inside of tax abatement policy is is growth. The city is really focused on growth. And, you know, I think there are a lot of ways that growth can be good. But when the city thinks about growth, it's generally thinking about growth amongst its tax base, right? Trying to attack, attract companies that'll pay them more money. Um, the idea is attracting something like Intel is going to attract more people to the city that maybe are higher earners that can give the city more money so that the city can do what it does with all of that extra money. Uh, unfortunately, one of the things the city does with this kind of growth is um, to pay back some of that money to the people who it thinks is kind of creating the growth. It, it really is hard to watch the city basically giving away free money to to companies like Intel. But I think we in our campaign are actually really focused on all the free money that's being given away to residential developers. There are a lot of companies that make a lot of money off of buying what is you know housing that maybe needs some improvement, some apartments that have existed for a while, knocking them down and starting over with luxury condos, replacing livable housing with luxury condos in order to make more money. And the city wants that to happen. The city is, is causing that to happen with the tax abatement policy. So that's, to me, what the kinds of corporations we're really concerned about are, are real estate speculators and, and developers. Um, I don't love Intel, um, but really the front line of the housing crisis is how the city is just handing all this money to real estate developers. Um, yeah. Are these developers developing condos or are they taking these um, single family homes and flipping them and turning them into rentals or both? Yeah, kind of both. And it's across the board. So strictly from a housing availability perspective, you know, a lot of people, if you go to a local um, area commission meeting, you'll see opposition to the construction of a new condo building because people say it uh, affects the character of the neighborhood or will increase traffic or whatever. We're not as concerned with that. We're not anti-housing stock being created. Um, But a lot of these real estate developers are, as Stephen mentioned, taking housing units that already exist and flipping them into more luxury units, which doesn't do anything to help the availability of housing. Um, Or they're actually buying up large amounts of housing and then just sitting on it and waiting for uh, these uh, tax abatement policies to be expanded into the area in which they're investing, which takes units off the market and displaces residents. Uh, We're also seeing these incentives being applied to the higher profit but lower density units. So single family units in Franklinton that are going for $350,000, $400,000, which is not doing anything for the longtime residents of that neighborhood. 
So you're concerned primarily, your group is concerned primarily about residents in communities in the city of Columbus, in areas that are already residential and these corporations are coming in and sitting in on it, or they are raising the prices so folks that live there can no longer afford it. Am I saying that about right? That's right. Absolutely. Um, In the absence of renters protections, so things like rent control, just cause eviction, the kinds of things that allow a person in an apartment to stay there as long as they want to and are able to continue paying their rent. What this policy has the effect of doing is turbocharging gentrification that might already be happening uh, until as long as the city just has the money hose open full bore. Uh, there's a lot of incentive for existing landlords to sell or flip their buildings and push people who may have been living there for a long time already further and further out of the city and crucially further and further away from public transit and other social services. Got it. So why does the Columbus City Council and the mayor, Mayor Ginther, give out so many tax payments? Just why? Yeah, you can probably see us both kind of smiling at that question. Um, We can give their answer. Stephen, why don't you give the city's answer and I'll give our cynical answer. Yeah. So the city's answer would be that uh, this is an investment. Giving away this money now, giving breaks on the taxes now, means it's going to make it easier for people to build housing and create the housing stock that we need because they can make their bottom line uh, work, make more sense to build more affordable housing. Without these incentives, we wouldn't get as much housing built, the city argues. Um, It's unclear if that's true. And without this, uh, we we would not see really affordable housing being created, which might be true, but it's not clear that even with this, we're seeing the amount of affordable housing that needs to be created. Um, but I, I do think there's a real behind the scenes answer as to why they're doing this. And it's a lot more simple. Okay, uh, let's hear that. Yeah. <laughs> that answer would be to follow the money, um, specifically campaign contributions. We have uh, parsed the open records requests that we've been able to file and looked at those financial disclosures. And it's just very clear that Uh, If city council answers to anybody, it's not you or me or your uh, listenership. It's developers like Pizzuti who are funding their campaigns to the tune of many tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I understand that one. Okay, (laughs) so what is the process for the city to give out tax abatements? And are there any like is there any official people besides you guys fighting back to make sure that this doesn't keep happening? So what's the process? Yeah, I can talk through the process. Um, we've spent a lot of time learning this process because at first blush, it's it's just incredibly hidden and um, convoluted and opaque. Uh, but the process basically is first, an area of the city will be designated as deserving these kinds of tax breaks to happen there. Uh, they're called community reinvestment areas. And the city picks areas of the city to basically... You know, I don't want to use the term red line, but basically uh, draw lines around certain communities and say this is an area that has blight in it is another word you'll hear used, an area that that deserves to have more investment uh, because there's not as much going on there as there should be. Um, Once that area is designated, basically... That's a free tax abatement for anybody who can get something built there, right? And so that then becomes, what is the process of getting something built there? So if a developer says, I want to build in on the near east side and I want my tax abatement, they will get it once they get their building up and, and running. So we looked at what does it take to get the building up and running? So they have to buy the property, but then they have to get 
zoning changes made, right? So if they bought, let's say, an old cookie factory in the Livingston area, which is like a real example, you know, then they would have to rezone it from whatever it is, industrial, commercial, into residential. And that requires a couple of steps in the city's process. Uh, the, The sort of most interesting one, which is also one of the first ones, is they need approval, not need, but they go to the the local area commission, people who are just like normal folks who live in that area who get together in this body that's elected by local folks and have really a lot of input on what happens locally, they send a recommendation to city council as to whether or not to to grant a rezoning request. Then city council sees it. And what we have found is if the area commission says, yes, go for it, City council usually says, yes, go for it also. But if if the area commission says, no, we have concerns, we think it's going to be bad for the area, we're worried about the affordability, the kinds of things that we're concerned about, environmental factors, the kinds of things that maybe your listeners are concerned about, all sorts of factors, the local area commission can say, we're not okay with this. And that we've seen it stop the process. We've seen it stop them getting their, re- their rezoning accomplished at city council. So we've really honed in on that part of the process as being really interesting. Mm. But basically once they get their rezoning, all they have to do is build it and file some paperwork and meet some, meet some quote unquote requirements that are, it's kind of opaque how that happens, Uh, but really building it is the last step and they get their, their abatement starts once they build their building. So if you could have in your vision, the process, how would you make that process happen? at the city council, start or starting with the commission. Tell me what your hopes would be for these blighted areas that actually may be, you know, just sitting there and nothing's happening. So what do you think is a good solution for that? Absolutely. And I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of this gets very wonky and technical and marginal tax rates and, and uh, tax abatements and whatnot. But they're really, that's that's not necessary. The city could simply build social housing. We could invest in, uh, you know, mixed income developments using not-for-profit builders. Um, trying to do this exclusively through market incentives is a function of ideology that says that the government can never directly solve a problem. It can only turn to the private sector and hope that through some inefficiency in the business model, uh, people might benefit uh, through, through some failure to capture profit. I think in... In the more immediate sense, we would advocate for more protections for renters. Um, there are a whole host of things that have been successfully used in other cities. Um, I believe it was uh, Toronto implemented a vacancy tax, which meant that landlords couldn't simply sit on empty units uh, until somebody was willing to pay exorbitant rental rates. And the result was that housing prices fell. So there are any number of things that the city could be doing today to help the rental market, um, to help people find places to live, if they would simply choose to prioritize housing as uh, meeting a basic need of the people of Columbus, as opposed to housing as an investment vehicle. Right. It sounds a little bit like trickle down economics. That's right. Exactly right. And so you would advocate for builders that are nonprofit that would come in and the city would be, you know, creating housing that's truly affordable because a lot of these units aren't affordable for um, poor people. That's right. Even in the uh, areas where tax abatements carry affordability requirements, which is not all of them. Franklinton, for instance, you can build a uh, high-rise condo, get a tax abatement, and and have zero affordability uh, stipulations attached to it. The city uh, 
defines affordability based on area median income, uh, which includes not only the neighborhood that you're building in, but the entire Columbus metropolitan area. So including the, the wealthier areas. So um, not to get bogged down in facts and figures, but when the city says you have to build units that are affordable to a family making 80% of the area median income, it's more than you or I are paying in rent. Yeah, I have the numbers in front of me. I, I find these numbers to be shocking, so I, I'm very interested to share them. So yes. Patrick's right in the legislation about building to get your tax abatements. There are some requirements that you build, whatever, 10% um, of your units have to be affordable to 80% of the area median income. For a, a one-bedroom apartment, that 80% uh, area median income number is $1,342 per month. So that's, you know, over $1,300 for a one-bedroom apartment is considered one of the affordability levels. Even at the absolute lowest level that the city says this counts as affordable, forget people making 30 or 50% of the area median income. At that 60% level, a one-bedroom apartment would still be over $1,000. So the city just thinks of a $1,000 one-bedroom apartment as being the bottom of affordable and everything else still affordable up to $1,500 or something like that. So the idea that developers are being required to build affordable units as part of their abatement means they're building units like that, units that that cost over $1,000 for just one bedroom, not even looking at the studio numbers, which are a little lower, but still shocking to think someone's renting a studio apartment for $1,000 and being told that's affordable rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, is It's gross. <laughs> it is. This is Carolyn Harding with Grassroot Ohio, and today I'm talking with Stephen Goldmeyer and Patrick Hoffman with the Columbus DSA Housing Priority Campaign. I have folks and friends and family from all over the country and been talking about the homeless situation and about truly affordable housing for homeless folks, small housing, there's um, small houses and houses that might come along with services like mental health. Does your campaign have any um, focus on that area of housing? Steve, I'll let you speak to that since you were, have uh, been out to some of the Camp Shameless events and the First Collective stuff. Yeah. So I, I actually was working a little bit with First Collective on sort of understanding their situation. And I've been, I went to their fair. I think I, I saw you there and I saw, I'm sure, a number of other folks involved in, in housing and in activism in Columbus. Um, and so to start from, our campaign is focused on the idea that uh, choosing the city chooses to have unhoused people, right? This is just a... The city is choosing homelessness, and it's choosing to give money to rich developers, and it could choose to do something different. And this is nowhere more obvious than in the fact that all of the folks who are at Camp Shameless now are living in accommodations, uh, actual uh, a hotel that the city is, has put them up in. The city could have chosen to do that a year ago or two or five years ago and could do that with a number, any number of people. There is just, there's enough for all of us. This is the core of what we believe uh, in, in, in the democratic socialists of America. There is enough to go around. If working people get the fair share of what they deserve from it, there's enough for everybody to have housing. Um, so we really do believe that the tax abatement policy is a choice by the city to, instead of actually addressing our unhoused population, choosing to do this backwards way of trying to, quote unquote, solve the problem that also has the added or maybe main benefit of lining the pockets of very rich developers. So this is very linked to the crisis of, of unhoused folks. But on the question of how do we build housing for those 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 populations, 
it really is just the same answer as before. The city could, the city owns land. The city could own affordable housing. The city could provide housing for people with all sorts of attached services. And the city has shown they're able to do this, but only very, very reluctantly. <laughs> and only after like a year of fighting, um, the city could be doing it all the time if they decided that it wasn't so important to them to also get a bunch of luxury condos built at the same time. Yeah, well put. Go ahead, Patrick. Go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was just going to very briefly add that, you know, uh, the folks at Camp Shameless for a long time were simply asking the city not to evict them. Right. Uh, just just let us have this thing that we're building that is stable, that has community support, that has trash pickup and all these things. Um, and I think it was Shayla Favor who said that, oh, the city of Columbus does not invest in tent cities. Uh, to me, that really just goes to show that they're really invested in uh, preventing other solutions from being demonstrated because there are better ways of addressing this issue. So are there any other cities that, that are visionary that are doing it right? Um, besides in, including the Toronto, but are there any in the U S doing taking care of the working people in housing situations? I think there are better examples not in America. I mean, this is just like a very core American problem that private property ownership and single family houses where no one bothers you is like a very core American value, which has led to a boom in single family housing, but also investment in, in single family housing and a lot of folks investing in this private property and making money off of it. But you do see other cities, I think it was um, Vienna or Berlin somewhere uh, in 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 Europe, one of those examples where uh, it is just extremely normal for, normal for people to live in city-owned public housing. Uh, something like half of the rental prop, more than half of the rental properties available are public housing. Um, and I think when people talk about public housing in America, they remember the worst funded, most segregated examples um, when there are just existing examples in other cities around the world of city-owned property that has tight controls on how much they'll charge for rent. And it is extremely normal for people to live in supportive social housing. Um, I don't know a lot of examples in America, that's a little harder harder to chase down um, good examples of American cities really tackling this issue the right way. Yeah, there are certainly cities with better housing protections than you would find here in Columbus. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, New York comes to mind as a place with rent control, right? So it limits the amount that a landlord can increase your rent year over year, and that kind of helps folks stay in their homes uh, despite maybe shifting market conditions or how profitable it might be to flip a building. Um, and I guess the first example of uh, uh, that vacancy tax that I heard was in Canada, but there are places in the U.S. that have it. I think Oakland and Washington, D.C. come to mind. Mm -hmm. um, other cities have passed just cause eviction, which means that a uh, landlord can't serve somebody out without a, a justified reason um, or right to counsel in evictions cases. You know, especially post-COVID, we saw a lot of people facing eviction because of what COVID did to their employment or their income. And uh, unlike in a criminal case, you're not entitled to a lawyer if uh, if you're brought to court by your landlord. Um, so there are any number of things that the city of Columbus could do to help, uh, you know, change the game and, and shift things, you know, to one degree or another in favor of the people who actually live here and not just the out-of-state investors or the people who are going to move here to work at the new Intel plant. Right. Do you have like a, a set of five asks or do you have like a step-by-step -step plan um, and where can people find out more information about your work and about this um, campaign or housing priority campaign? There's two questions there. First of all, do you have a step-by-step -step asks 
things that you want and that you're working for? And then how can people find you? I can talk a little bit about the asks uh, and the steps we're working towards our asks. So I think we've sort of made it clear. Our big ask is a total reimagining of how housing is done in the city, right? So we would, we on the long term are demanding social housing instead of market solutions to the housing crisis. In the nearer term, we're demanding the end of corporate tax giveaways and the reinvestment of the money that the city is instead going to still make. The, something like $50 million last year went to tax abatements. Take that $50 million, we're demanding it be used and taken in from developers and actually spent on affordable housing instead. But then we have a pathway that includes smaller steps before then. And our main goal right now is to monitor, just show that we're paying attention, monitor the new developments that are coming up on the block at these area commissions, find the ones that are good and support them and find the, one, find the ones that are bad and really make our opinion known and maybe stop these things before they happen at the earliest steps. So that's more of the practical, what it looks like right now. But we're aiming big. You know, we have really uh, big demands. We just know it's going to take a few steps to get there. Yeah. I mean, at the Democratic Socialists of America, we believe in democracy as a means and an end. And so having identified that it, those area commission meetings, those neighborhood level, uh, you know, areas of the municipal government are one of the very few places where local residents have a say in the goings on of the city. Uh, we're really focusing our, our efforts there. Um, having been paying attention to this process and, and the situation and doing a lot of research has really positioned us well to get involved when things come up. Uh, for instance, the city recently did a legislative review of the tax abatement policy that we were able to convene an ad hoc coalition in order to show up to those hearings that you know normally kind of happen not behind closed doors, they're open to the public, but nobody knows about it or it's you know Byzantine and wonky and you wouldn't really be able to know heads or tails of what's going on. Um, and so I think just continuing to be a presence and be a resource for other activist organizations is really, you know, where we see ourselves kind of going forward as well as encouraging everybody, not only DSA members or housing act uh, activists to show up to those area commission meetings and really keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on in your neighborhood. I think the easiest way to get involved with our campaign is to come join your local socialist organization, join the DSA, um, and you can get really intimately involved with our campaign. Um, mm -hmm. But even if that's not what's calling to you uh, to actually join the DSA, certainly watching our our social media feeds and being in touch with us, you can get on our, our sort of list um, and you can watch the kinds of events that we're doing because we do um, public events. We notify people when these hearings are happening. Um, so, but, but really, if you want to get intimately involved, um, we, we, we have a lot going on and we welcome new people um, into, into DSA and into the work that we're doing, certainly. Yeah, that's right. I would recommend everyone follow us on Instagram. Um, or if you're uh, like me and you're not as socially media active, uh, check out our website. And we've got a calendar there. We've got uh, meetings going on several times a week with our different campaigns uh, and our general meeting is coming up on October 13th. Anybody can join and just kind of uh, get, we'll be giving a status update on our campaign and talking about ways that people can get involved. Do you have a website? Yes. It's columbusdsa.org. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, you come from lots of knowledge and research and uh, concern for the people and I think it's important information folks to hear and to get involved with because trickle down doesn't work in any way. Yeah. So we, the people need to care for each other. That's and right. um, 
I appreciate your hard work and we'll get this information out to folks. Carolyn, thanks really so appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate your work. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio now airs on Sunday at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org, 92.7, 98.3 FM Columbus, and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP 107.1 FM in Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.